0: If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program starting this June. I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers.
1: Anything you could do to attach a healthcare quality indicator that you are connected to, to a nurse-driven initiative that's a button or a click
0: box is going to future-proof our profession. Learn those KPIs, but what are those words and phrases that you constantly hear thrown around everywhere? Is it readmission rates? Is it, you know, reducing hospital acquired pneumonia? What are those sort of buzzwords that everybody in the facility is working towards? Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders. disorders, and founder of the Medislp Collective and Medislp Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together, we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Laura is back for another episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast. Uh, She was on a few episodes ago, but I wanted to bring her back actually because we're also uh, for the MetisLP Collective, we are coming up on doing a workshop all about all things productivity and not just like the boring, you know, uh, I, I think when you think of productivity, you think of like, okay, so many units per day, I need to hit my productivity, or I'm in big trouble by the big, bad wolf, but we don't even know who the big, bad wolf is. And it's just sort of this like abstract cons- like construct that defines everybody's workday, but nobody really knows how to define it. So that being said, we are putting on an entire workshop about really what it is how to calculate it how you can advocate for better productivity and what it really should how it really should define our role and laura is someone that i just i I look up to i i love everything she has to say and i think she just brings a, a lot of really important points from other perspectives from other professions as well and so again thank thank you for coming back laura and um if you want to just share a little bit about your background and why you're so passionate about this topic as well
1: um yeah, thank you, thank you for that uh, intro. I am excited, um, and I don't mean that, um, you know, sarcastically. Productivity and learning the business of healthcare speech pathology um, really has been a pivotal change for me in my career to help me better understand how to support the clinicians to do the care and provide the services that we were built and committed to provide. So I am a a, a rehab leader. I'm a speech pathology supervisor. I have a, a larger team in acute care. And for me, getting this right means maintaining my team's quality standards, my commitment to patient safety, and um, future-proofing my team's ability to maintain their employment. So if I get this wrong, there's a lot of high stakes um, at stake. So I'm, I'm committed to that for my team and my own professional growth.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So, one of the reasons I wanted to bring Laura back on this was, you know, we got, I think we just were on a phone call one night and we just got jamming about this concept. And what she brought up is really not the topic of of actual productivity, but how do we redefine it as efficiency? How are we as speech pathologists not just productive, but efficient? Because anybody can be productive. Anybody can clock in, sit next to a patient for 40 minutes and call that therapy. And and I'm I'm by no means saying that's what anybody does. But literally, that's what you could do to charge, you know, whatever you need to charge for for billable hours and all that stuff. Is that the best use of our time? Absolutely not. So Laura had this interesting perspective that I really love about efficiency and, and how are we calculating how efficient and how effective we are as SLPs. And that that should be weighted so much more and so much differently. So let's dive into that, Laura. Um,
1: yeah, thank you for, for bringing up that concept. And I think it comes from my focus on quality and safety practices and the focus on um, actually the industrial revolution and automation and how the focus on efficiency actually keeps people safe. So when it comes to productivity and how larger businesses, corporations look at how employees who are providing a service, what they are looking at is ultimately, how do we cover the cost of our business to provide the services we're committed to, to uphold the standards of the service we're providing and cover all of the costs related to that. So once we start shifting the P word from productivity to efficiency We start to open up doors for how to operationalize what we do, how to maximize our resources, how to get platforms to make it easier for us to get resources at our fingertips, and then how to advocate and escalate our services to be more productive or efficient for patients' needs. So um, I think one of the things that people can do is start to think about efficiency and remember that we are an amazing field, but automation needs to start happening in your world and is already happening with a lot of the business practices that you are part of. So if you're not thinking about how to automate and be efficient in your daily practice with patients, you're not keeping up with healthcare industry and where we're going to be as in this rapidly evolving climate that we're in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, because I I love what you had said about, so, so say we have, you know, say we're like a JCO um, Center for Excellence for Stroke, right? And what if we, how are we being most effective if, let me rephrase that. So we can be productive by just going in and, you know, doing a cranial nerve exam, asking a few questions and leaving, right? Or we can actually be very efficient in doing all sorts of things, right? We can do cranial nerve exams. Should we be doing fees right then? Should we be getting an order for modified? What should we be doing to really maximize our efficiency? And I wanted to tie that in because I love what you said about how there's so much technology that we can utilize. And, and I think this is the most beautiful marriage of like the, that it's an art and a science to what we do, because I think there's so much technology that we can automate from the science side. There's so much data that we can pull, but then our art really is okay. Using our critical thinking skills, using our brains and just providing the most thorough and effective assessment for these patients and, and, you know, treatment plan eventually.
1: Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take it back to our billing. Um, yeah. So I think, It's wonderful to meet speech pathologists who are like the unicorns who graduate grad school and then open a business because they aren't really enmeshed in uh, any other industry. They're learning the billing codes. They're learning strategy. They're learning to be efficient. And there are very few out there who graduate and just do that initially. But if you ever get the opportunity to meet somebody like that, they are giving you some of the keys to maximizing your services you can provide to patients wherever you are working. So when you think of a facility that is stroke accredited, you should be looking at patients when you get a consult as you are meeting the standards of the stroke accreditation and the power in speech pathology practices actually lies in our untimed billing codes. Now, I wanna be very clear. What I am not asking is for fraudulent billing I'm asking you to learn and maximize your understanding of our billing codes, what we can bill same day, what we can't bill same day, and how we can make sure that our services and assessment and our resources we're providing patients, our education we're providing patients is readily available and easy for you. So you're efficiently providing amazing care with each of your touch points. One of the shifts that my team has done in the past two years is with every stroke patient we are a stroke accredited um hospital we are show we have moved away from kind of like the oh well bedside swallow is priority and then we'll get to the cog calm stuff and then what happens is it builds and then patients have needs and we're not approaching that patient from a comprehensive lens initially and when i started to discuss this practice that we allowed ourselves to fall in, what I realized is we were actually getting in our way to uh, be efficient with the patient because when you have a stroke care plan that crosses three days, that's three different chart reviews, that's three different touch points, that's delay in care, delay in discharge, um, and delay in opportunities to actually serve the patient for their whole encompassing needs from our specialty. So just that shift And saying we are going to start with a comprehensive mindset and be okay if some other patients with their specific needs are delayed because I'm focusing on this one patient with all of their needs in this moment. It actually has allowed our caseload to be more controlled. And it's actually allowed our conversations with our doctors to get better. so I'll stop there because I feel like I could just go down go down a rabbit hole and ski slope with that concept. So,
0: Well, I think we should. I think we, <laughs> we should keep going with that. Because I think for so many people, they're like, oh, this sounds like the dreamland, right? This sounds like the promised land. And, and I always love when people say things like, well, you don't know what it's like in my facility. And, and I know that you do know, Laura. <laughs> so I would love it. And I also know you're very passionate about change management and things like that too. So I'd love to talk a little bit about you know, how, how do you go about making these changes? How do you go about bringing up these conversations with, you know, other people in, you know, maybe your DOR or, or higher ups in your facility and, and just sort of changing the entire narrative? Because this is really flipping the script upside down on its head.
1: So I'll go back to, I think, a common word they use in business world is a pitfall that speech pathologists often go back to whenever they're trying to get more clinicians on their team let's track those mistreatments, let's track those missed patients. Well, if I'm going to provide the comprehensive care to this one patient, what about those four that I can't get to? Well, when you actually strip down business best practices, because like our best practices, there's labor management best practices, there's business best practices, there's accounting best practices, missed opportunity does not guide um, business success assessing your efficiency with your labor, meaning how efficient is that speech pathologist with their time to generate units of service does. So if you are wanting, are needing more therapists to cover your caseload, you should not be asking that until you are absolutely efficient in meeting your productivity standards to drive that change because that's going to communicate we need more people. We need to meet the productivity standards to show we are being efficient with our time. Um, and and I think first starting with understanding that concept, because I'm not saying that therapists who haven't tracked missed patients didn't get somewhere, but they didn't get somewhere with, without also being efficient and productive with the patients that they were seeing, right? So the data has to go together. Um, so, how else to start change? I think it's 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 pulling all your state and um, joint commission accreditation scripts and and making sure you're meeting those standards because if you look at the trauma designation standards, they are very loose and defined. And actually it falls to the rehab department to say, you're meeting the standards of the brain injury patient. Okay, well, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, guess what? That's frustrating to some, but that's actually the world is your oyster because we're really at probably the most exciting time for speech pathology, because I think they're starting to define some of those standards. And if you're a therapist that is interested in a quality improvement project, wanting to really highlight piloting a program where you can align units of service with providing excellent care for mild brain injuries and acute care, now is your time, because it might end up being in a manual to guide accreditation for joint commission trauma designation, because the, it's it's not as defined as you get farther and farther away from the bigger bucket designations. Um, I, I started to think about this, Teresa, I think you asked, you know, a similar question of how do you also you know bring it bring it to the bedside um and how how do you, you know what gets in our way when we're trying to communicate how are you getting in the room with different stakeholders and i think speech pathologists often lose attention when they start from this place of i just want people to take my profession seriously when we start with the I'm a speech therapist, I have a master's degree, I have a specialty in this, You know, they're already gone because you know what, you're usually sitting in a room with critical care nurses with alphabet soup after their name, they have two and three masters, they've been through leadership programs, they've um, been hand selected by their nursing administration to lead different areas. So taking a page out of business practice and communication of starting from the solution is really my recommendation. Strip away your title, get out of your imposter syndrome and start saying, hey, I can fix your problem with non-ventilated healthcare-acquired pneumonia. You're gonna get the, (laughs) and you're going to get their attention. Um, And then you can offer your solution. I'm gonna do that by making sure there's endoscopy equipment in every single ICU, and I need your stakeholder your power in nursing administration to partner with me to make that happen. And that is something that I coach different clinicians on is getting out of that introductory soup and getting to the solution yeah. that
0: healthcare industries are all trying to solve. Yeah. I think, thank you for that, Laura. I think that was such a, such a powerful statement that you just made because I think sometimes we, you know, we we, we we have imposter syndrome, right? And, and we aren't even sure if we should be at these tables. But yes, we absolutely should be at these tables. But then I don't think we do a good job of confidently saying exactly what we do bring to the table. We just say things like, you know, this is within our scope of practice, or we can, you know, we can provide this if you think it will be a good thing. And, and I, I feel like a lot of times we argue for our own limitations instead of exactly what you said, just saying, this is the solution and this is what we need to do to get there. And and I think that's just something that's such a, it, it's, it's a culture thing with SLPs that just drives me nuts is how we argue for our limitations. And I know that's a very broad statement for me to make, but I, we've got to change the narrative somewhere. So thank you for saying that. I think that's great. You know, and, and I'm always one that I always say with my team, I'm like, don't bring me a problem, just bring me a solution. I don't care about the problems. I just want to know what the solution is and we'll work backwards from there. So I think that's wonderful, and that's, that's really powerful, and, and I really hope that so many SLPs can hear that and listen to that and embrace that and know that you absolutely deserve a seat at the table. You do have the knowledge, and yes, it is within our scope of practice, but that's not always how we should lead into the conversation.
1: And I think that that frustration, right, that like they don't even know. What speech does. Yeah. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, guess what? That's your window of opportunity. Tell them. You, yeah. Tell you're, them. <laughs> you are the first point of education for that person. I say that to my team a lot. We just rolled out and rolled a really awesome initiative. We attached ourselves to a clinical process model that I'm really excited to talk about. And I will someday, but not related to this topic. But I I coached every single person on my team. Of, this is going to push. The framework of how speech pathologists are viewed at this hospital, and you will be the first point of education, and you will be rewriting some norms and some assumed biases that doctors have. But it takes getting in there and it takes asking good questions. And um, I also think, you know, so I also want, I, I did this exercise with one of my speech therapists. So, you know, when you close your eyes and you think about the healthcare industry or a hospital or a skilled nursing facility, speech therapists are often one of few, right? We're a department of few, and we always like wear that like a badge. <laughs> um, and so when you look at big healthcare and data, we are not generating a lot of data by the few people who are employed to be speech therapists. When you're in a hospital... And you're looking at data which drives clinical practice change which drives big healthcare initiatives nurses are the biggest data data inputters in a hospital right so anything any speech pathologist can do to attach their visibility to nurse driven initiatives and nurse driven data input i'm talking nursing screenings i'm talking intake questionnaires, I'm talking um, mid-level providers who are screening neurosurgery patients for dysphagia. Anything you could do to attach a healthcare quality indicator that you are connected to, to a nurse-driven initiative that's a button or a click box is going to future-proof our profession. So if you are not working with your clinical informatics team to start getting yourselves better in the system, you need to start today.
0: Mic drop. End of conversation. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, Laura. I, I love that so much because I think, you know, one thing that I really try to help SLPs think of it is don't just data dump on your DOR, right? Don't just go to your DOR and say, hey, I have this great idea um, and I want to get this going. How do we do it? And instead you put this entire huge heavy lift on the DOR who doesn't have the time and really doesn't probably have the investment that you do to get this whole process pushed through. And I'm not saying bypass your DOR by any means, but what what else can we do to get these to get this data? And I think this is such a great example of not putting more work on other people, but rather supplementing what they are already doing. So if there's like you said, nurses that are inputting nursing screenings, um, you know, three ounce water tests, all, all those things that we that nurses do every single day, how can we help make those processes and maximize those efficiencies.
1: And, and just, you know, and so one of the other pitfalls we get into is, well, my job code is this, and I'm going to do what's expected for my job. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want this statement to be connected to um, our worth and our value and compensation, right? Because we all should be asking for, um, you know, what we are worth, but we should be looking at our job as how are we adding value to that business and that institution with all of the work that we are doing, and we cannot just rely on our leadership to know it all. You know, if I were to ask my immediate boss what are the newest codes for speech pathologists to be to be considering, that's my job. You know, I I should be looking at the billing codes that are going that's going to maximize my input across my patients not maximize the billing revenue of the company, my input, right? Maximize my, the services that I can offer. So we need to be, a phrase I use is plusing purposefully, you know, leading without added value. And it is hard when I'm asking clinicians to push into initiatives and um, when they have solutions and I say, hey, Go and do it, and and I, it's my job to figure out how to make that happen. But we're leading from a place of I'm going to add value to your initiative, and give, then giving getting permission to do it because your your manager really needs you to help them figure out these problems.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Laura. I I just love this conversation so much, and there there really is is so much here, and I one of the things that i love too is i think there's such an importance in not, not only interprofessional education but interprofessional collaboration and and you know i always say you've got to find those physician champions that are really going after your cause and i and i know that's hard to say like okay do is this is this ent doctor really understand my angle or things like that but i think when you can really truly show what you bring to the table and you can provide that data and you can foster these relationships with the nurses and with the IT departments and show that you really, truly do want to be part of the ecosystem, as you've said before, I think that's how you start to foster these relationships and get this get the buy-in from some of the major physician players who will then, you know, vouch for having you at these tables again and again and again and again.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, And making it relevant. And I think a term that people here in the hospital and business world are, is, is KPIs, you know, key performance mm-hmm. indicators. What are those key performance indicators that we're looking at that shows our business is successful, our patients are being taken care of, and we are getting satisfaction as employees. Those are three really hard things right now in healthcare. But as a concept that I just, I introduced earlier, Remember that unicorn speech therapist that started a business right out of school? Um, you know what? What was their key performance indicators? How happy are they at work? Where are they seeing success? If you almost take, take and shift into that example of how how would I help this company see that added value if I was bringing my business into this hospital, into this skilled nursing facility, into this outpatient clinic? It sometimes help you helps you clear your mind of how you can show your impact and how you can can connect yourself to the key performance indicators. So one of yeah. the ones right now at my hospital that they're really trying to address is um, healthcare acquired pressure injuries. And, you know, I know you had a guest recently that was talking about yeah. nutrition and how to partner with that. And, um, you know, there are often those moments that you can just ride the coattails of another initiative and suddenly find yourself developing a geriatric power plan with a nutrition screening. And it's all because big data is giving us the permission and the ability to do that. Um, So shifting away and looking towards efficiency is also automating some of of that decision-making and allowing doctors to move away from being the sole person to decide if a speech therapist should be involved or not Sometimes they're nurse navigators. Sometimes they're nurse champions. Sometimes they are tube team members who identify a patient who has dysphagia risk factors because they met somebody like me in an elevator. Um, but take that first point of education and turn it into a quality improvement project. Everybody can do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah thank you, Laura. I think in another one of our conversations, what I what I love is is really you know learn learn the learn those KPIs, but but even just the only word that's coming to me is dumb it down even more. What are those words and phrases that you constantly hear thrown around everywhere? Is it readmission rates? Is it, you know, reducing hospital acquired pneumonia? What are those sort of buzzwords that everybody in the facility is working towards? What are, what comes out in those newsletters from the hospital CEO that talks about, you know, these are our goals for this quarter. These are what we're really working towards. And then, like you said, attach yourself to those coattails. And and I think so many times we say like, oh, you know, I, well, we could really help with that if, you know, they they sent us more patients for fees or, you know, if they order, you know, made more referrals to us, this is where you insert yourself. (laughs) Don't sit back and wait for the invitation because they don't know that you're able to help with these initiatives. And this is why I say really get to know these other people in your facility. There may be you know, there's all these different titles and you may not even know what their titles mean, but they may be these people that are put in charge of program development and spearheading these new initiatives and working with the foundations to bring in grant money to get these, you know, these, like I said, these initiatives off the ground. So it's, I love what you said about writing those coattails and I think as much as you can attach yourself to some of those really popular buzzwords that your facility is working towards just shows that you you are even more part of, of the buy-in and part of the team and the ecosystem.
1: And I think at those tables we really shine because we like patterns. We like continuity. We like strategy. We we are amazing at helping things make sense to people. And and so sometimes when I'm in some of these meetings when they're talking about process and workflows, it really sounds like a lot of my sessions that, I'm, that I've am that i had in my past of working on, with a patient with executive function and planning and making sure that the process makes sense and it's easy and repeatable. So not only do we have impact clinically, but we have impact in just making these processes efficient. Every speech therapist, I think, is an undercover um, project manager if they let them yes. speak.
0: Uh, yep. Yep.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. So, if you if you just look at productivity, and 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 then I have to talk about kind of I guess a little bit of the elephant in the room. So, what if you're on a team and you're really excited about an oral care initiative, and um, you're able, you're you're getting ground with. Uh, your clinical swallow evaluations and really providing amazing care. And um, you suddenly have interesting resistance from somebody who's in your field and on your team and because it's it looks like more work or it looks like work that they aren't necessarily interested in. And that financially for a business when you have that variability across the team is a risk factor because if you have a group who is moving towards being efficient and collaborative quality and care align the economics and good practice align time and time again so i encourage as you're starting to dive into these initiatives as soon as you feel a little bit of friction From the understanding of the why we all might be pushing into the cardiac area of the hospital or geriatric failure to thrive patients that you stop and and we have a breakout session just to talk about practice in that moment because nothing is more heartbreaking when i see an initiative take off and then i see inconsistency in practice and then a physician or a stakeholder sees an inconsistent practice pattern and then they consider that the standard, right? So it is really yeah. important that we as a team, among teams, as speech pathologists, and as a field are having good hard conversations. I think we've we've said this time, and uh, I've said this to you, high performing teams are not, um, you know, it's not sunshine and roses. It's, it's hard conversations. It's, what are we doing about post extubation dysphagia? What does acute care treatment look like? What does our documentation have to look like? What are our standards for swallow studies? What is our standardization? But you know what? When you have those conversations and you become better at them and more consistent with them, the quality and care align, and you start economically seeing that in 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 your departments, and then your your asks for equipment get easier
0: (laughs) yep 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 it's just it's one huge circle it really truly is and i think you know the more the more hospitals more nursing homes that i've worked with and i've you know gotten contracts approved and things like that it's just the ask always gets easier the more that you do the heavy lift up front and i know you know i i know the conversation also another elephant in the room is like I'm barely taking a minute to go to the bathroom at work, Laura, how am I supposed to start all of these initiatives and have all of these conversations and talk to all these doctors and have, yeah, talk to all these people when I can't even get a potty break? Yeah, so
1: I think <laughs> I would start looking at your systems. You know, what's your startup like? Yeah. You know, what is, what are your, do you do you have an efficient note writing approach? Do you, what do your chart reviews look like? Do you have, are you using all the tools at your disposal? Because if you're not peeing, I as a manager am not supporting you from labor laws and that's a problem. Um, so <laughs> we need to start there. And then is your drag how you're approaching the patient in critical thinking? Do we need to back up and work through critical thinking skills and why we might be stuck on certain practice approaches? So I think that there are, This is a conversation in and of itself. um, And it comes down to moving with healthcare with the tools at our disposal. So make sure you and your leadership are asking, is there a note writing so-and-so out there that I can be using? I hear about Meditech all the time and how horrible it is. I've used it before. There has to be solutions. There are think tanks that literally are paid money in Silicon Valley to make this easy for us. We need to be asking Mm -hmm. good questions.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, even things like smart phrases and things like that, like, I know those just made my life so much easier when I added those things in and I learned those things. And, you know, not that, of course, every patient isn't the same and having these cookie cutter templates but having a framework to how you approach your your notes and how you approach that I I do use a lot of checklists and things like that to make sure that I am covering all the points. Yeah. And that's it, you know.
1: And safety checklists that's real. Right? Quality and safety and efficient practices in ORs. They have safety checklists to make sure that they have all of the tools that they just removed out of the body. Why would a speech therapist not have a checklist to make sure they quickly went through all of the things that this patient may need that's efficiency right there and that's helpful and also i have to point out this elephant in the room when you find something that is efficient for you and feels good for you share it why are we hoarding all these good tools as professionals knowledge sharing is a hill i will die on but when we find something that works and we find something that could change our practice and could ch- impact somebody else's quality of life in their job, share it with them because it's likely that they aren't misaligned in their practice approach. It's just that they don't have a tool and a framework that you might've developed that could help them understand it. Let's all help people a little bit more. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. And I, and I think so many times, Oh, go ahead, Laura. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: And um, I, and that, that just brings me, I guess, back to some of the, the metrics and the, the productivity and the, um, you know that is all based off of, actually the newest is based off of the um, US Bureau of Labor and their breakdown and recommendations for how you manage productive versus, uh, I guess, business capturing versus non-billable um, employees. So I invite everybody to look at that, at those resources and just better understand your productivity metrics are driven by quarter hour labor indicators. That is a U.S. federal labor, Bureau of Labor driven initiatives that's supporting the healthcare industry in different sectors. Okay. So um, if you want a better understanding of that, you need to start learning about Labor, labor laws and the math and the formulas that they use to do that. And that could be a whole a whole thing.
0: Yes, yeah. that is a, a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, one thing I was going to say is, is I love that you pointed out, you know, share something if, if you come up with a new framework or come up with a new idea or something like that. Because I think so many times people always say, gosh, I've always wanted to do something like that. I just didn't have the time or I just couldn't figure out how to quite implement it. And I think once you've been through it and you've been able to implement it, then you can share how you got it done or how you got IT on board or how you got that template changed or, you know, you can share from experience. And I think that just that helps so many SLPs out.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, we need to move away and ask our bosses to remember we have untimed billing codes and we should not be put in the framework like our PT and OT colleagues and understand that we shouldn't be held to the same standards with an entirely different charge and billing structure so we can talk more about that because if we are maximizing our unit of service with our comprehensive care and our specialties based off of a per quarter hour metric we are going to have good opportunity to start to develop programs because in some arenas like acute care, we will hit those targets faster. Um, But in other areas like outpatient, speech pathology doesn't have as much revenue generating power. So you are by nature more folded into the business and more reliant on other professionals. So, I think asking to better understand how you not are measured and compare in comparison, but how they're understanding your billing in relation to your colleagues is a good question to ask because they might be getting it wrong. Many yeah. managers and leaders are master's degree holding OTs, PTs and speech therapists. They haven't gone to business school. And they're learning this almost like a bad game of telephone in their own onboarding. So that's why they need you if something seems off to help them figure it out. And the biggest word you can use with them is I want to be your partner in figuring this out. And believe me, they would love to offload some of this to somebody.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Laura. That's so, that's, yeah. Yeah, I I think one of the things that really drives me nuts, and and this was just a huge, a huge game changer for me, is I just really learned a lot about the difference between managers and leaders. And I think so many times our DORs are incredible managers, because it takes a lot of brain power and coordination to juggle all of the pieces and all of that that's involved in that. And just because they're very good at managing all of those pieces does not mean that they are the forward thinking, the future thinking leaders that are trying to come up with program development and and moving all these initiatives forward. So you may have a DOR that is like that, but you also may not. You may have the DOR that is strictly in that manager role and they're just very good at managing all of the pieces within the department. So I think that's why it's so important to sort of just get to know the dynamic and really the personalities of the people that you're working with, because if you're really trying to drive an initiative forward to someone that doesn't carry those same skills that you do, you're going to get frustrated and think it just is dead in the water when really you might just not have approached the right type of person who really does embrace those forward thinking things as well.
1: Yeah, and I think you just so you, you just said it. You have to you have to approach everybody like there is a gift in there and we just need to figure out how to find it together. Yep. And I think we often as speech therapists, you know, when we're interviewing for a job, we, we get a little deflated and we're like, oh, it's, a P- it's another PT boss um, or another OT boss, but really they've been some of my biggest teachers with helping mm-hmm. me better understand some of these concepts that I've just talked about. And if we go into those interactions, already putting them in a box, we're not giving them room to grow and evolve in our perception. And we're already shutting down opportunities and ways to learn from them. And, you know, I know this is managing up. Managing up is, 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 is asking for things that, that you that you know you sh- your manager should be giving to you, but also working with your manager like a partner. Um, and that, that comes from just like general professionalism training that I think in the business world, they do a great job of educating people on how to meet your boss and leverage their strengths. Speech pathologists yep. need some lessons on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in, in owning some different businesses and owning different companies is, is the, the big, massive difference between the visionaries and the managers, right? And you've gotta let the, the big visionaries, the people that, that have all these ideas for program development initiatives, do those things. But then you've also got to have the integrator people, the manager people that put all the pieces into play and let them them do those things. And often they're not the same people. Often they're very, very different people. And that helped me learn so much in building teams that operate effectively and efficiently and knowing your role and staying in your lane. And, and I, I'm the true visionary. I absolutely hate the managing part. And my team is so good about saying like, Teresa, get out of this. Like, this is not the best use of your time. This is, you know, and I hate it too. I know that's not where I belong, but I think knowing yourself, but also knowing how to read that and other people too, and have those conversations with them. Like, you know, is this something you're interested in? Is this initiative that you wanna help spearhead? Or, you know, are you, is your role really in, in managing all of these other pieces once we get past that point? Because I think what you've got to realize is a lot of these things are gonna be such a process and there's going to be the people that need to, to drive the initiative from the beginning and get the buy-in. But then there's going to need to be those implementers. There's going to need to be the IT people that get involved. There's going to need to be the infection control people that, you know, move all those pieces. So it's important to know who, whose role it is what here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that if you are that visionary, because they're often the people that I, I get so sad when they leave our field too soon. Um, yeah, because yeah. they're the people that are going to change our field, and the visionaries often to people who are the business people might look dangerous. But every good and new idea, like the first person who was, I'm, I think, a midwife who said, "Let's wash our hands before we deliver babies," right? That yeah. probably like looked yeah. dangerous back then. But like, look where we yeah. are with hand washing, right? Right. New right. new ideas look dangerous, and visionaries. That energy needs to be harnessed and needs to be used and and but I, I keep going back to that business side of visionaries. Find your business people. Business people find your program developers. Find the people that can embed, embed your practice and market your your teams. Um, Rehab has a has a has a marketing problem in a lot of places. Skilled nursing facilities, hospitals. We need yeah. to rebrand ourselves.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and I I need those professionals in my life too. So
0: <laughs> yeah, one of my most favorite stories. Like I was horrified at the time, but looking back, it was such a teaching moment for me. I, I was really good friends with this with this guy that worked at our skilled nursing facility. Like we he would you know come out to lunch with our department all the time. Like we are just really good buddies and. I don't, it was maybe like two years after I'd been working there. And I got like, just talking, we got talking about a patient at lunch or whatever. And I, you know, they were like, Teresa was, you know, amazing, you know, what, what you've been able to do. And the patient went from MPO and all this stuff. And I was just talking about, you know, I was like, this patient really surprised me with, you know, we had all the family buy-in and we got them out for modifieds frequently. And I was just talking about the whole thing. And he was like, I had no idea that that's what you do. And I was like, What? And he was the marketing person that would go to all the major hospitals and recruit the patients to come to ours. You know, we were a high level skilled nursing facility. And he's like, I, he's like, I really wish I knew that that would really help me recruit a lot more of these high level patients. He's like, I had no idea you did that. And I was like, I was so mad, but it was such a teaching point for me. And like, I will never forget that conversation for my entire career because like you said, we have a marketing problem. We don't tell people, what we're capable of doing we sort of go inward and say oh that's within our scope of practice they should refer more you know patients to us but they don't know what we're capable of doing unless we tell them
1: yeah yes and actually i i nerd a little bit about startup culture and looking at um, businesses from just a cultural perspective and i just want everybody to think about like pixar Right. If you were to visit yeah. Pixar, you like walk in and you're, you're in their films and you're seeing all their awards and, and you're in this whole environment of really being part of their successes and seeing their work. Right. If you go to the Pixar studio. Um, so when, when, a, when a patient walks into a hospital or a building or um, a family member, right, how are you showing? How are you in that marketing? for that building? how? What is your presence? Are you in a hole in the back of the, the, the gym? Which, okay, we need a quiet space sometimes, but make your work visible. And I'm gonna go back to data and I've said it five and six times, we need to stop waiting for people to track our data. <laughs> we yeah. have to ask yeah. for it to be tracked. We have to ask yeah. for how to do this work and how to use our systems to show our good data because that's how we show our value. That's how we show our worth and worth translates yeah. to money and it and translates to equipment and translates to programs. So,
0: yeah. And I think what, the, what I love to is I worked with an IT guy that you, you think of those IT guys and they love their jobs. They love nerding out on this stuff. And I remember I went to one IT guy and I was like, I'm so frustrated. I wish I had access to this, 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 this. And I spit out like five numbers that would have helped me with my my fees company that I would have been able to just track better data and track better outcomes. And he was like, I can easily create that for you. I can create a whole dashboard and it'll feed in this number and feed in this number. And you'll be able to just log in and do you want me to update it? Like once a week, like he was so excited to build this thing for me. And it was such an eye opening moment for me of like, Holy crap. Like I've just been thinking how much easier would my life be if I had this? And I just asked and it was received, you know? So, Talk to those people that you know love nerding out data and numbers. And if there's anything that can make your job easier, but like you said, can also track your worth and, and really show your value.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. Dashboards, another one. KPIs, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. dashboards, um, the big yeah. five, actually, it's the big seven that those are the healthcare acquired conditions. We all should know what our hospital is or healthcare facility is focused on. And That's one thing, you know, I think early in my career, I had a lot of initiatives that I felt were most important and I wish Mm -hmm. I could go back and say, okay, but that's not what your business is interested in right now. Right. Right. And if I would have just shifted my mindset and connected that importance and what I saw as the biggest thing they needed to do with some of the goals of the hospital, I could have gone somewhere so much faster.
0: Yeah. Well, and it makes it a lot easier too. It, 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 I think it lessens the burden when your facilities tell you what's important to them. You know, <laughs> a lot of times we think, I don't know what to work on. You know, I don't know what programs we should bring in here. You know, I just feel like I'm running on this therapy hamster wheel, but if they're telling you what they need, how can you insert yourself in that conversation better?
1: And when they do rise to the occasion because if they say we are a stroke accreditation accredited hospital, we are the highest level of stroke care. Your speech pathologists need to be operating and showing up as the clinicians at that, des- that at that level of designation. So it also is yep. the responsibility on us to rise to the level of accreditation we are. Yep, and Thank we suddenly that. become very efficient people. Yep. <laughs>
0: amazing amazing awesome laura thank you so much for your insights you know i you and i could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and we do but <laughs> any anything else you'd like to anything else you'd like to add to this conversation or anything no. else about about productivity yeah okay Um,
1: uh, well i mean i just i think we need to keep talking about it and um more and adding just a little bit more depth to the conversation of what is it okay what is it based on how are you getting that information? What does your boss understand with it? Um, because I, you know, the, the national PI companies are all contracting with a lot of our healthcare institutions. So a lot of the benchmarks and the recommendations these contracted companies are giving are likely based off of more interconnected work than what we realize. So um, yeah, we just need to keep the conversation going and making, make it a little bit more meaningful.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> thank you. I'll see you. All right. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week.